Hello and welcome to this week's edition of The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge Television, brought to you by our friends at Ditch Witch. Bass Edge Television is on Wild TV in Canada and currently on the Versus Network all the way through June of 2008. This is your co-host outdoors, Dan Young, and I've got my other buddy along, right alongside. His name is Mr. Aaron Martin, the host of Bass Edge TV. What are you doing? Hey, I'm doing great, Dan. Actually, I'm I'm uh, excited about today's show. We're, we're going to be talking about clear water. Yeah, you know, and i got a feeling you're going to try and snow me on some stuff. <laughs> yeah, pardon the pun, right? Considering yeah, well, Brian Snowden's going to be with us. Brian Snowden's on, man. Yeah. It's going to be a lot of fun. And I know you're crazy about clear water, you table rock people. Well, we're actually going to be venturing to Bull Shoals, so Are you? kind of in the same, uh, you know, same watershed category. But uh, no, it's going to be a great show. Yeah, and no, Bull Shoals is neat. Pontiac, Missouri, man, I love it. That's a, my favorite part of the lake. We were actually uh, down closer to the, to uh, Bull Shoals, Arkansas, is, is where we were at. So we were actually yeah. in the Arkansas part of it. But it's it's well, all a beautiful you, area. Yeah, they won't let you in Pontiac. That's right. <laughs> they, uh, there's signs that say Aaron Martin's not allowed. I've heard about you. I believe you. I have. Hey, and then we're going to go on the inside edge and talk with James Niggemeyer. And it's all right here for you folks, right here on the edge. You're listening to The Edge, the official audio program of Bass Edge. Brought to you in part by Ditch Witches On. Experience the revolution. Oh, look here. I got one. I got one. Look here. <laughs> I mean, he whacked that football jig. The blades will dictate a lot of times the speed of the retrieve or the depth of that bait. Oh, good fish. Good fish. Did you see him come off that log? Woo, look at that son of a gun, man. That's awesome. You know, you've got to just stay active. Fishing is not easy. Oh, man, that's a toad. This is unbelievable. Well, I got to tell you, I'm sick and tired of the cold weather, man. I was down in St. Louis this week doing the St. Louis Boat and Sports Show. I got to visit with a lot of people. It was 52 degrees. 52 degrees. That's 52 probably a little degrees. different than from what you're used to, right? Yeah, I had to leave Saturday after my seminar to get home and help Laura out with the kids. And uh, I got home at 1230. But when I hit the Iowa line up there uh, at Bloomfield, it went from like 52 in St. Louis to 9. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm so sick of the cold, man. But you know what? There's still fishing to be had in this weather. There is, and and I'm sure your trip to St. Louis was very well. I know I've been to that show in the past, and uh, a great show, a lot of great people, and, and just being able to, to visit with them, I'm sure you got a lot out of that. Yeah, you know, I actually got to meet Jay Ellis for the first time, and he, what a nice man. Uh, he, he is. There's a lot of people in the fishing, in the hunting and fishing industry that are just super nice people, and I would say he's probably goes beyond uh, nice. He really took time to visit with everyone. Actually got to learn a lot about swim baits. Now, we've talked about swim baits on this show before, but uh, just to see the detail and how he went ahead and won all the, the major championship last year using them, it was pretty insightful. Well, it is, and you know, obviously that says a lot about him because he was the FLW Angler of the Year last year, and I, and I know swim baits uh, were, were a huge part of his arsenal in doing that. But, you know, that, that's just such a, a great bait and very versatile. It's picking up across the country like we've talked on here numerous times. Um, but he is, he's just a great angler and a great individual. And to me, see, when he was pulling out the stuff out of his tackle box, I, I got to tell you, I, those people are using that for musky and pike fishing up north. <laughs> oh, yeah. Especially those big 15, 16-inch rainbow trout ones. Yeah. He goes, now this is a swim bait we use in California for bass, and I'm going, that's a musky lure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, so, some of the bass that, you know, that is caught uh, throughout other parts of the country are actually the same size as the swim baits that you're throwing out in such places as California. So uh, it's all relative, you know. 
Yeah, and, and you know, it's really hard to wrap your mind around the fact that bass are eating rainbow trout. Yeah, well, boy, they do. They do, and I'm sure, as, as he uh, attested there, you know, with that stocking program of, of what's what's going on, um, you know, it, it is kind of hard to imagine that that is a primary for, forage for bass. Yeah, that's a big bass. Yeah, it is a big bass. You know, I'm speaking of big bass, I, yeah. uh, the classic is coming up, you know, and, yeah. and that's right around the corner. It is. I got to talk to a couple buddies of mine that are in it. I'm not going to say who because you get all jealous. Not like <laughs> yeah, I do. Them, but, I do. That's yeah. I know how you are. Great but uh, place to you be know, in. they're they're pre-fishing already, practicing. Uh, not at that lake, but right. in different situations, trying to get their techniques up. And you know, it's so hard. It's hard. To, you know, it's hard to understand that you have to go out and pre-fish to get yourself in the right mindset for a tournament. And you know, it's I guess it's the same as hunting. You have to shoot your bow the whole year. Right. So it's the same it's the same philosophy. Well, the other thing and like we're going to hear a little bit later in the interview um, is, you know, mental aspects play a tremendous part of fishing. And and once you establish those fundamental skills, you know, you you've just got to, when you get to that level of competition, it's just like anything else. You've got to be in the right place or in the zone as we call it. And, uh, you know, it's not all just about techniques, but when you've been had the off-season and doing a lot of promotions and things like that, you know, that time on the water just to kind of acclimate yourself and get ready for the upcoming season uh, is, is no different than a, a runner or, you know, a football player lifting weights and staying in condition. Absolutely. Hey, and uh, I want to talk a little bit about fishing line. I've had a lot of emails the last couple of weeks about you guys are finding fish down at 25, 30 feet of water uh, with a extreme coldness, uh, you know, especially down in your neck of the, in the Ozarks and down in the uh, Table Rock area. Uh, the, what I've been telling them, and I want you to correct me if you think I'm not telling them right, but I've been telling them, you know, if they're going to get try and get down, then another thing they can do to get more depth out of their lures is go to fluorocarbon because that line actually sinks instead of like braided line, which floats. So it should give them a little more depth, shouldn't it? Absolutely. You know, and, and a lot of it, not, not to get into too deep on the scientific part of it, but it comes into density, line density, you know, it's stretched. There's a lot of properties that fluorocarbon uh, have different than your traditional monofilament, likewise, you know, with braid. Um, but fluorocarbon is definitely the way to go for numerous reasons. And, you know, even on just throwing fluorocarbon, let's say, on a crankbait, you know, one of the advantages are that you can actually, if you're targeting, let's say, a 10-foot uh, strike zone and you're wanting that crankbait to get down 10 feet, well, with fluorocarbon, you can either do one of two things. You can actually increase the pound test because of its diameter um, and, and get away with some additional strength or you can use that, let's say, 10-foot crankbait, throw it on your traditional maybe 10-pound test line that you ordinarily would, but perhaps that's running now 11 or 11 and a half feet and allowing that to get down. Um, so there, there's a lot of versatility that happens within fluorocarbon other than just the benefits of it sinking and, um, you know, it's low visibility. Absolutely, and especially with the clarity of the water, with the, you know, being as cold as it is, the water tends to be a little more clear, so it should help you all the way around. Exactly. There you go. Well, I tell you what, we need to get going and go to a commercial. When we come back, folks, you're going to hear a delightful interview with this week's guest, and his name is Mr. Brian Snowden. We'll be right back. Give any type of boat the edge with MegaWare Keel Guard. It's simple to install, and we can now beach our boat anywhere. If you own a boat, you need one of these. MegaWare Keel Guard protects the keel of your boat from sand abrasion, from underwater obstructions, even concrete boat ramps. Kit started under $140, and best yet, it's guaranteed to keep on protecting for life. Thanks, MegaWare Keel Guard. Thanks, MegaWare Keel Guard.
Welcome back to The Edge, brought to you in part by Ditch Witches On, establishing a new standard in trencher power and versatility. All right, welcome back to The Edge, and joining us uh, to really provide a lot of insight on several different things, but specifically uh, clearwater fishing, and that is BASS Elite Pro Brian Snowden. Brian, thanks so much for being part of The Edge. Well, thanks for having me here, and I enjoy being on the edge. What's been going on in this, what you would call off-season, if there is such a thing anymore? Well, to be honest, you know, it's been really busy. I've been doing uh, lots of shows. Uh, just got back from one from St. Louis, and uh, get ready to do uh, four more in the week prior to the first Elite Series event for Bass Pro Shop. Uh, they're a newly acquired sponsor, and uh, they've been keeping me busy with shows. And and uh, then in, in the spare time, I've also been trying to, you know, get tackle ready and do some research on the upcoming lakes. Sure. And not to mention, of course, you have a, a wife and, and uh, that, which uh, also you got to find time in there to, to mix that in as well. Yes, you do. you got to keep them happy. <laughs> yeah. So, well, I, I am confident that uh, that the upcoming season is going to treat you well, and certainly uh, you demonstrated that in years past. But, you know, one of the things that with the, you bring a, a little different, um, I guess, venue to is that you're not originally from the Midwest, are you? Uh, no, Aaron. You know, I, I was born and raised in uh, Bakersfield, California. I uh, grew up fishing with my father out there in regional tournaments, uh, Fish Cafe, Casitas, uh, even, you know, some of the championships for the regional tournaments were up on the California Delta, Shasta, and Clear Lake. So I fished uh, all over and basically started when I was uh, 16 years old out there fishing. So, you know, when you made that, that move uh, geographically, you know, was was that a tough transition, you know, just given the bodies of water that you fished on the West Coast versus, you know, some of the more Midwestern to Eastern and Southern reservoirs? There were a few different techniques that they use a lot more back here, but, you know, that was due to the the climate, you know, a lot, a lot colder winters and things like that. But basically what I found is, you know, as long as the structure and the water clarity are, are very similar, the patterns that worked in the West Coast, uh, work exceptionally well out here. You know, and and one of the things, I, of course, uh, um, you're you're pretty comfortable with clear water, and you know that can be often intimidating to to some anglers. Um, has that ever been a factor? You know, for you, I mean, did you grow up out there fishing clear water? Uh, yes, I did. You know, Aaron, out there, the the water, some of it, most all of the water was in the eight to fifteen foot visibility. A lot of it was uh, used for drinking water, and they didn't allow swimming. So, you know, we had very clear water environments, and uh, we didn't have any vegetation or anything like that in those lake pans. So, uh, you know, I did a lot of deep structure fishing, and that's kind of how I learned to fish. So when I moved to the, the Midwest, those techniques worked exceptionally well here because we also have a lot of lakes with clear water. You know, both of us had the opportunity to really try out some of those tactics recently when we spent the day together uh, in Arkansas on Bull Shoals Lake. Can you, you know, more or less paint the picture of what anglers can expect when, when going to that lake? Bull Shoals is a typical highland reservoir. You know, it's an older lake, so there's not a whole bunch of cover, but it's got clear water, several different types of rocky structure, you know, to cover the shoreline, and there are a few standing submerged trees you can still fish. But, uh, you know, it's going to be a clear, mainly deep water, except in the springtime lake. Um, you know, excellent fishing for all three types of species. You know, it's one of those lakes that you can fish for largemouth, spotted or Kentucky bass, and smallmouth. And how does that, you know, when you have bodies of water, whether it be a river or a lake, um, that, that offer all three species, does that change your approach uh, for your, your fishing day? It does, uh, especially if it's a tournament. You know, if it's a tournament, I'm going to definitely try and find some largemouth because generally their size is going to be larger. 
you know, but if you're down there for a family vacation or just for going out to try and catch some fish, what makes those reservoirs so great is the Kentuckys and smallmouth, especially the Kentuckys, seem to be in greater numbers and easier to catch. And, you know, what goes into that is just because of, of, of how they, they feed and their aggressiveness and, and just genetically, or is it just that anglers can, can catch them and, and just give them the spots? Are they, you know, how, how does that break down? Why, do, why are largemouth basically... Um, harder to catch, I guess. I think a lot of the is the largemouth tend to stay a little shallower. Um, you will still catch fish largemouth out deep, but they do tend to stay a little shallower, and then the water's just so clear, you know, that they're very, seem to be a little more spooky or less aggressive than the Kentuckys and the smallmouth. So I think just because, you know, genetically, the smallmouth and the Kentucky seem to be a little more aggressive, I think that's why you catch quite a few more of those. You know, really, uh, Brian, when we one of our goals, you know, in, in talking prior to actually uh, showing up there at Bull Shoals to, to make the show, you know, we said we were going to go out and uh, make a valiant effort to catch all three species. You know, normally, um, under under what I would consider normal conditions, if there is such a thing, you know, that, that can be easy to do. However, we uh, we were able to, to reach our goal, but we had some, some challenges uh, to be able to do that, didn't we? Oh, we had some really challenges, you know. <laughs> We, we got there, I think it was the coldest it had been all year for two or three days prior to the first day we were on the lake. So, you know, that definitely put a damper on the largemouth fishing, but we were still able to catch a couple nice largemouth. Yeah, yeah, you know, and then, of course, the uh, the, the winds and uh, just the cold cold weather and then the bright bluebird skies. Um, how do conditions like that, you know, impact Clearwater reservoirs? Well, they definitely impact the shallow fish first. When you get that severe weather change, you know, you're going to have a high pressure usually meeting a low pressure, and that's going to affect the fish, just make them where they don't want to feed. So that's why when we got there, you know, we kind of had a plan that we were going to go ahead and start fishing out in that 30 to 60 foot of water, and the reason why we were going to do that was because of the cold front conditions that came in, and we felt that those areas would produce better and the fish would be more stable the deeper we fish for them. So that stability, you know, that, that is, is often attributed to that, that deeper bite, are those fish residents? I mean, do they constantly stay in that, that depth range, or, you know, do they move in and out of that depth range and eventually move into the shallows? Well, they're definitely going to have to move shallow or the spawn just because of light penetration, and they're going to have to be shallow, so their eggs will hatch. But a lot of fish will spend a lot of time out deep, and the main reason why is just they're following their forage, and that's a you know real important factor to remember, especially in the midsummer, early fall periods like when we were down at Bull Shoals. You know, you definitely have to find locations where those bait fish are, and those bait fish might suspend or they might be relating to structure. The ones we found were basically suspended, but they were real close to a river swing or a to actual point, and uh, those were key locations. But the the fish wouldn't have been there if there wasn't bait fish present. So that's one thing the listener always wants to remember is even in the summer and the fall and you're fishing deep structures, you still have to have some sort of bait fish present. Well, and, and that's a great point because, I mean, really when when we went to those those areas, the first thing that you did uh, was start looking at the graph for the presence of bait fish, you know, following those those channel swings or those points, you know, right basically off, off the, the edge of it to where it started uh, transitioning more into the main channel, um, and that was really a, a critical factor to us even catching any fish. Yes, and as, and as you remember, you know, a lot of times you'd see those bait fish, they might not actually be feeding on them when we were there. You know, the bait fish would be suspended high over those main channels, but what what happens is a lot of times those bait fish move up on the flat or the, the main lake point 
when they move up, that's when the bass come active and start feeding. And, and you saw that throughout the day. You know, we'd get in an area and catch three or four or, or five or six, and uh, those shad would be closer to that structure we were actually fishing. Right, and I also remember that, you know, we actually did a lot of, we didn't really use our big motor much that day, um, but we certainly used the uh, the trolling motor quite a bit. Matter of fact, I think we did several circles, and if you looked at our graph, <laughs> our tracking on there, it kind of looks like a giant etch-a-sketch by the time that we were done. You know, and, and the, the reason why we were doing that is just because we wanted to stay in an area where those shad were present. I just felt that, you know, if we, we were around those bait fish, sooner or later, one of us, either on the spoon, the drop shot rig, or a football jig, would put it in, a, in, in front of a fish that was willing to feed. You know, and, and talking about those three baits, the spoon, the drop shot, and the football jig, what is the difference? I mean, why do you select one over the other uh, out of those three baits? Because every time that you talk about, um, or not just you or us, but really across the media, you know, when you talk about deep fishing, you hear a lot of discussion about those three tactics. Well, they're just very efficient tools at covering that deep water. The spoon and the drop shot, I think, produce more numbers of fish, especially the drop shot. You're going to catch more fish on a drop shot than any other of those three baits. Um, but size, and especially in a tournament situation, size becomes a factor. And if, if I'm trying to catch bigger quality fish, I'm going to lean more toward the football jig. You'll get far less bites but the quality seems to be much better on the football jig. I think it's just a bigger profile, you know, and, and it just takes a little bit bigger fish to pursue that bait. Um, the spoon is really a great bait because it mimics the bait fish that are already feeding on out in those areas, and you can fish it fast and at various water depths. You know, you can fish it from the surface, let it flutter down to 50 or 60 feet, or vertically jig it in 50 or 60 feet. Well, and, you know, and I think that holds true with, with what we saw throughout the course of our fishing day. You know, we were catching a lot of fish. Um, we even caught some, you know, some decent, really decent keepers on the drop shot, had a tremendous amount of fun. Um, but ultimately, if you're trying to upgrade, which is what we talk a lot about, you know, first being able to, to get a fish to bite and get a fish to respond, and then basically, you know, establishing that foundation and building upon that. And that's what that jig really allows you to do. Yeah, I think a lot of times, you know, you come into an area and you might try the drop shot first so you can kind of get a layout of the area, get a few bites, and then once you kind of understand how that point lays or the channel swing and stuff and find those key areas, it might even just be a little rock change out on big flat. Then I start using the football jig in those key locations. You know, now on the football jig, do you, are you mainly casting that and dragging it, or are there different techniques that you're using, you know, to trigger that strike? You know, there's basically three types of techniques. I like to either constantly drag it where it keeps contact on the bottom in a real subtle manner. The other one is actually to hop it, make you know, your rod go from, say, 9 o'clock to noon, uh, maybe a two or two to three foot hop off the bottom, and then let it fall back. Usually the bite will occur on the fall. That's usually when the fish are a little more aggressive. And then, say we're coming in from uh, the early spring, you know, March into April on these lakes around here, a lot of times you can swim a little bit lighter football shape, like a half ounce, and swim in in a little shallower water and actually just kind of tick the bottom like you would with a crankbait, you know, but you're continuously moving the bait, and that produces really well when the fish are actually starting to move up to those shallower waters. So in, in figuring that out, do you normally, when you pull up to an area, will you try off all three approaches until you get a reaction to that? Well, usually the, the swimming method I only use in the springtime. I'll try it some post-spawn or in the summer, you know, at the beginning of the summer when the fish are still fairly shallow. 
But once those fish move out into that 30 to, say, 60-foot range, I really like to keep it, you know, either real tight to the bottom in a subtle dragging manner or those little bitty, you know, those two-foot hops where it's continuously contact with the bottom. I feel that it's just more effective to maintain that bottom contact when you get much deeper than 30 feet. You know, in, in talking about bottom contact, uh, obviously we've, we've kind of narrowed down the, the weight. Uh, what about skirt and trailer? Um, any any differences there or things to, to keep in in mind as far as colors? You know, on most of the lakes that I fish, and this holds true for when I was out on the West Coast or even in the Midwest, those clear water environments, you want to keep it a, a pretty natural-looking color. You know, your green pumpkins, watermelon, seem to day in and day out outproduce any other colors. There's a few colors that might be specific to a certain lake, but if the listeners will just keep in mind to use something that, you know, is the watermelon, the green pumpkins, and just match your trailer accordingly, I think they'll do a lot better in the long run. You know, in, in our closing last uh, minute or so here, Brian, um, two things. Brief us a little bit on the use of electronics for deep fishing and the importance thereof. And then also, you know, one of the things that I remembered was uh, when we were fishing the drop shot, we used two different methods. One was the vertical, but the other one was because of the way that the wind was blowing. Um, we were using that drift, just keeping it in contact. And as we would drift over this, you could see things on the bottom but you couldn't really distinguish if they were fish or stumps or big rocks. And after a while, what we figured out that those, those fish were holding, you know, pretty tight to the bottom in that one particular area. Can you comment just quickly on those two things? Well, yes. You know, even with the great technology of graphs, and we were using the split screen, which is very important when you're structure fishing with the actual GPS on one side with lake contour maps, which is very helpful in finding those offshore structures. And then we had the other side with our graph so we could see our bait. But you could still, just like you mentioned, not see separation really tight to the bottom. So what we were looking for was just irregularities, you know, little rough spots in those smooth gravel banks or, you know, they might actually have been fish, but that's when we were actually keeping our drop shot. When we couldn't see any fish in the water column, we were keeping our baits tight to the bottom where we had a chance to get a pie. And then when it comes down to positioning the boat, and that type of thing, that's why it's really important, you know, and that's why we used the, the trolling motor a lot and made a lot of circles in areas is because we were trying to find those key locations um, on the bottom with our electronics. Well, Brian, great information, and uh, certainly wish you the best of luck in the upcoming BASS Elite season. And, um, you know, if, if our listeners would like to, to get in touch with you, certainly feel free to send him an email at prostaff at bassedge.com. But in the meantime, Brian, thanks so much for being part of the Edge. Well, thank you, Aaron. And yes, please send in any questions you have. And I'll be happy to uh, take a look at those and answer them as quickly as I can. In all that spare time, right? Yeah. <laughs> all right, Brian. Thanks a lot. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, Aaron. Take care. Boy, Aaron, I got to tell you, just a delightful interview. And uh, I've never met Brian, but he seems like a great guy. He is a great guy. And, you know, Brian uh, moved out, I think, in 1994 from California. So his skill set that, that he brought to kind of the, the BASS circuit is was not birthed out of the Midwest, but rather uh, from him growing up, you know, fishing those California, those Clearwater lakes. And, um, you know, he, he's just very, very talented angler. Yeah, and it's neat to see that he's guiding, too. Yes, yeah. Now, of course, that's that's significantly dropped down as far as the number. He still does that a little bit, but, you know, just given their schedule. Um, but he still does like to guide and loves every opportunity to get out and work with people and, you know, teach others how to fish. Uh, you know, I was kind of fascinated when I was down in St. Louis. That I, you know, I was hearing some of the fishing seminars, and, you know, amazing 
that there were certain people that would come up to the, you know Jay Ellis and some of these other guys and say, "Hey, what would it take to uh, have you take me fishing for a day or two, yeah, and I, to guide me?" Boy, I tell you what, I, you know, with Brian and yourself, I mean, that's got to be pretty flattering when people come up there and throw big dollars at you. Well, it it it, it is, but um, you know, you also look at it from the standpoint. I can remember. Um, you know, when I first started, I guess, fishing, uh, whether it be recreationally or competitively, you're, you're a sponge and you're just wanting to soak up as much information as what you can. And, you know, it'd be the equivalent of getting to play baseball with, with some of the baseball greats, you know, people like Jay Ellis and that, um, there, there's a lot to be had and a lot of experience of just numerous hours on the water. So anything that you can do as an angler to help speed up that, that learning curve, um, you know, by spending time, with with other experienced anglers and that's why i believe so much in even if you don't like to compete just from a learning standpoint of being a co-angler or a non-boater or an amateur in the back of the boat on some of these tournaments just almost look at it like a you know like you're paying college tuition and being able to spend time on the water with with a lot of these pros absolutely well with brian being a bass lead angler i i know that if he, whenever he does guide it's got to be pretty valuable to people he takes so. no, no question and yeah. uh he's a, he's a very good teacher understands electronics understands not only clear water but he's also very versatile he's he's very good in the in the southern reservoirs you know the more traditional shallow uh type stained water situations but being able to read and utilize those electronics as well as understand that deep bite uh, what those those fish are relating to, and the importance of following those bait fish, even when you know you're fishing depths of 30 to 60 feet. Because just like he said in his interview, you know the reason why we were targeting the areas that we were is because there was bait fish there, and those deeper fish are more stable, uh, especially the the weather conditions that we we faced. You know that day, it, it was the the coldest day of the year when we arrived. And we had three days of that, so that's why we picked up and chose to go, you know, on a deeper bite situation, and it paid off. Well, and you had been happy with him doing drop shots. Oh, yes, yeah. And, you know, we, we combined the drop shot, went after uh, numbers, um, you know, really trying to get something going out of those schools of fish. And we did that, obviously, with the drop shot, but then being able to kind of pair that with, uh, with that football jig and even the spoon. Bull Shoals is one of those few lakes that has all three species of bass in it, and we wanted to catch all three species. Now, we had to work at it, don't get me wrong, but by, by coming at them with three different techniques uh, and really targeting the same type of structure, um, we were able to put something together, and, and it, it paid off well. Well, you know, with electronics, one thing that I was curious about, when, I, I know we were talk, you guys were talking about fishing deeper water, but when you get into eight to six foot of water, do you think the electronics sometimes will spook fish with the tick, 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 with the way that they, they do the sonar? Personally, I do. Um, you know, I just, I think uh, to have normally, um, what you can do is, is you can put on a, a, you know, your stop chart on there so that it's not sending down, you know, that noise. Um, mainly when I'm in that type of a shallow water situation, I want to know what the water temperature is, and, that, and that's pretty much about it. Now, difference though is let's say if you're fishing a lake to where the average depth may only be 10 to 15 feet and you know you're looking for a subtle ditch or something out in the middle of a flat or a bay um you know you have to have those electronics to be your eyes under the water so that you can find those subtleties Uh, but normally if you're coming back to to fish that you've already marked it on your gps you already know what you're fishing i will minimize um you know the the fact that i'm going to shut those electronics off uh, so that just to try and give me every extra edge that I possibly can. Yeah, what kind of electronics was Brian using? Um, well, we were in our boat, so uh, we had we were in the in the legend boat. We run the Lawrence, 
Um, but really, there's a lot of, you know, the Hummingbird has that side finder, you know, Garmin. They're all quality electronics anymore. The fact that of knowing how to use your electronics, that's the biggest thing. I think it has less to do with the particular brand and more to do with just understanding what those electronics are doing. And hence, that's why, well, we'll be finishing up, uh, when I get back from vacation, we're actually going to be finishing up the electronics DVD uh, that myself and Mike Webb are participating in uh, to be able to release that to where uh, hopefully it'll be a, just a huge asset for anglers understanding what they need to expect and how to um, you know, use those electronics to improve their fishing day. Well, what a great segment. Folks, we got to run and take another break. When we come back, you're going to hear the inside edge, and then Aaron and I will be right back. You've got the truck. You've got the toys. Now it's time to get the hitch that gives you more time to play with both. It's the toe and stow receiver hitch by B&W. You want options? Select the ball size, adjust the height to level the trailer, or stow it out of the way in just seconds. It's 10,000 towing pounds worth of durability, convenience, and the latest technology that has made B&W famous. The Tow and Stow Receiver Hitch by B&W. Call 1-866-BEST-HITCH. Welcome back to The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge. All right, we are back on The Edge, and joining us is James Nigmeyer. James, thanks so much again for joining us here on The Edge. My pleasure, Eric. You know, I'm sure you've probably thrown one or two of these in your lifetime, uh, and that is jigs. Absolutely. These, these jigs are fish-catching things. That they're probably one of the most difficult to master, but one of the most uh, highly productive on the trail or even just uh, fishing recreationally. Well, you know, and, and there, there's a lot of selections and there's a lot of discussions out there, but let's break it down. Let's start with one that has gotten a tremendous amount of, of publicity, and that is the football jig. The football jig, yeah, known for its head design, you know, it, it's shaped like a football. And it has that, in this design, it, it has more of a vertical drop. When you throw it out there, it, it's falling straight to the bottom because all of its weight is forward, which helps it to move through rock, rock cover and rock structure. It helps it to crawl over and, 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 and just turn, and, and it helps it to really get a unique action out of the bait that fish really tend to key on when they're, Say off the bank or off structure and and the deeper depth. Well, you know, and when people think of a jig, they don't often, you know, necessarily think of of a jig as a search bait. However, one of the things as far as a football jig is because of its weight, there's a different ways that you can fish that concerning its speed and and its depth, and really allows you to cover a lot of water. Oh, I absolutely agree. And you know what? One of the neatest things about a football jig is that you can really that the lure bring its own action to to the game. And what I mean by that is. You can just drag a football jig, and because it's rocking and rolling and crawling and turning over rocks, it's just by you pulling the rod tip like you would, say, a Carolina rig, you can cover a lot of water like that, and this jig is going to impart its own special little action as it moves side to side and rolls over things. You know, and the other thing is, is if, if the fish are a little more aggressive and they don't necessarily have to or, or require it to stay in constant contact with the bottom, is you can actually pop it off the bottom. Yes, you know, ripping the jig off the bottom and letting it fall and get that. A lot of times those fish don't want that horizontal presentation. They want that vertical. And when you really rip it off the bottom, they call it stroking a jig, and it comes back, back down as it's falling. They'll just they'll go on and they'll eat it right there like that. They love that vertical presentation. Prior to moving on to the next category, any particular size that you kind of recommend as a, as a good all-around weight? You know, the most popular are probably three-eighths, half-ounce, and three-quarter. If you're fishing deeper depths, I'd say choose that three-quarter ounce, a little shallower, that half ounce probably. 
Uh, if you're fishing maybe some heavy rock and you notice you're getting hung up, I drop down to say a three eighths ounce, and maybe if you're fishing a little shallower application. Then you know transitioning now into more the traditional flipping style. Uh, can you elaborate a little bit on that? What your likes dislikes? Absolutely. These now these are going to be kind of your your pocket knife or your your all purpose jigs, and you can fish these jigs in a lot of the same areas that the football jig would come into play, but the football jig is going to definitely uh, be more productive and, and going to be the proper tool for the, for, the, uh, for the task or job. But these casting jigs or, or flipping and pitching jigs, these are going to be great around wood, rocks, and any shallower cover. These are going to be ones that I'm going to want to look at that shallower uh, column of water, say from inches of water out to 10, 12 feet of water. This is going to be the workhorse. This is going to be the lure that gets get you the, the, the big fish uh, that you're looking for on a, on a day on the water. Uh, fished around wood, rock, weeds, it's, uh, it's universal. It's, a, it's definitely the lure that you can, uh, can uh, use wherever you're fishing. And unlike the previous jig that we talked about as far as the football, this head design is a little bit different. Absolutely. It's, it's more flat, typically, and uh, helps it to stand up by, on its own. It'll just, it hits the bottom. It'll, it'll kind of glide, maybe not so such a vertical drop, but it'll kind of glide just a little bit as it falls, depending upon the type of trailer you have on it. A lot of times it's great when you have a vertical presentation. You may pitch it up to a, a dock or a stump or even the edge of a grass line as it's falling next to that grass line or, or wood or dock. That's, that's a lot of times where your bites are going to come. You know, a lot of people talk about uh, a jig being difficult to really master. Um, any pointers there, you know, as far as because a foot, the way that they bite a football jig is a little bit different per se, on a, on a flipping or a pitching jig on, on how they're, what you're actually feeling on the end of the rod. You bet. I think the, the biggest key that helped me to learn, and I'm still learning all the time how to fish this jig, it's, it's, a, it's a jig that, it's a lure that you can take all your lifetime to really to, to master. But the most important thing that, I'm, that, I, that helped me was to really get out on the water and have that rod in my hand and just fish that jig. The more I fish it, you better better sense of feel you get about it. You know that when you're pulling it, hey, that feels like a half-ounce jig. And if it feels anything different than a half-ounce jig, then it's time to set the hook. And sometimes, you know, when you do that, sometimes you you might be setting, on a, a, setting the hook on a piece of vegetation, a limb, or a rock. But you know what? It's a lot better to have tried and not succeeded until you actually start realizing that difference. Oh, absolutely. Early on, I know that I lifted up and thought, that's just a rock or piece of wood or whatever. And, <laughs> And then the next thing you know, you feel that fish blowing it out, and you just, no, you just can't believe you just missed a prime opportunity to catch a fish, and you don't have any idea how big it is. You know, it is, there is some art to it of a fishing jig, but main thing is, is get out there and continue to practice. And, you know, that's, that's ultimately how you're going to improve that skill. You know, in our last closing minute, one of the things I feel that is often overlooked when fishing a jig, and that is the trailers. How do you break the multitude of trailers that are out there down to what you're going to tip that jig with? Well, you know, typically you have a couple of different, you have swimming type appendages, and then you have one that are, that are more like flaps or it really catch more water. And as they fall, they kind of, they really don't do a whole lot, but as you work the jig, that's where the action comes. And so those two, you basically have a swimming type or one that really get, has its own action. And then the other one, you part, imparts your own action, and, which is like a chunk or, or sometimes a swimming tail type grub trailer. And basically what I try to do is, if the water's colder, I like something that has a little less action because, you know, things have a cold water metabolism and they, they're just going to be slowing down a lot. When it gets a little warmer, I like something that's got a lot of action. But the most important thing I would have to, to say would be to let the fish tell you. 
I mean, uh, on any given day, those fish aren't going to read the book, and it, it's important to let them tell you exactly what they're looking for. So, like, for this time of year, chances are you're probably going to go with something that, uh, instead of being like a twin-tail grub or something like that, you may lean towards more of just a crawl that is, is going to be more natural-looking to where it doesn't have a lot of flailing in the water. Sure, a crawl or, or, a, or some sort of a chunk that has maybe, mainly it's just like a big, big couple big flats or tails off the back that are just, they're going to catch water. They're just not going to move a whole lot unless you're moving the jig. And then as the water warms, you go to something uh, that's going to have you know, more action on the end. That's absolutely right. That's, that, that has to be the general rule that, or consensus that I go with. But uh, absolutely, again, let the fish tell you what they like. All right. Well, James, again, another great piece of information. Uh, we are out of time. And uh, I know that if, if you have a question that you'd like to get to James, we can send that to, uh, where's that at, James? That's at prostaff at bassedge.com. We'd love to hear from you. All right. Well, good luck, James, and we'll talk to you again in the future. Thank you, Aaron. When I'm fishing in a tournament, time is critical. I need fast, easy access to my lures. My Cook's go-to tackle system keeps my bait organized, tangle-free, and within easy reach. It installs in minutes under any deck lid, maximizing the storage space in my boat. And its durable construction lasts even through the harshest conditions. Get organized with Cook's Tackle System by calling 1-888-390-8780 or online at cooksgoto.com. Welcome back to The Edge. All right, welcome back to The Edge. Outdoors, Dan, Aaron, Martin here with you. And, uh, you know, that James Ingermeyer, is there anything he doesn't want to talk about? Hey, you know, if it's fishing and if it's related to bass, I mean, he is all over it. Just never heard of a guy using Q-tips to clean his jigs before. There you go. Yeah, hey, James, that was awesome, and I hope you folks enjoyed that. He's really a wealth of knowledge there. You know, James is, you know, he grew up, obviously, coming through uh, out, of, out of just the re- recreational leagues and, and has worked his way up. And it's it's nice to be able to see his growth over the, the course of the years. And uh, I, I certainly think he's you're going to see some more things out of James this upcoming year. Uh, I think so. I think he's doing good. Hey, folks, we want to ask you to send us a listener email question. And how can you do that? Well, I'm glad you asked. You just go to prostaff at bassheads.com. And they're going to be primarily answered on the website, but some will be answered here on the podcast. It just depends if Aaron's got enough time to get to his laptop. Man, we've, I tell you what, we have, speaking along those lines, we've, we've had a lot of questions, and uh, our entire pro staff has been involved. So I just want to encourage people to keep those coming. They're great, great questions. Well, I would hope so. And just, you know, you can quit watching cartoons <laughs> once in a while and do your job. Yeah, you know, that Tom and Jerry, uh, it's hard to find the, the good old uh, Tom and Jerry episodes. So. Yeah, don't let him fool you, folks. He's a SpongeBob fan. He's got SpongeBob stuff all over his boat. It's, uh, it's ridiculous. That's hey, we also want to, if you're listening, if you're, what'd you say? I said that's better than the, what, Seven Princesses that you watch or whatever that Disney The episode. what? Seven Princesses or My Little Pony or something. Now, see, like, the uh, thing that it really bothers me is you actually know what their name is. That's because I have a little girl and she's four. You know? Okay, <laughs> sure. All right, wink, wink. Right. Yeah. Hey, folks, if you're subscribing on iTunes, too, we really want to hear from you. Uh, just tell us how you're getting the, uh, the podcast or if you're going to BassEdge.com or if you're getting them from iTunes. And there's also a great way to tell us how we're doing. There's, if you can go to the iTunes section, you can actually rate us and give us a rating. And I believe it's under the star merits 
if you can do one or you know one two three or four. Is it four, Aaron? I think it's up to five. I think there's five, five stars, and then they have the the feedback section where you can go in and actually type in some comments and so. Yeah, on. if you do five, just send Aaron an invoice, and he'll get a check in the mail. But <laughs> yeah, I'm honestly, that on to you. Yeah, well, thanks. If I had your money, but we really want to know how we're doing, and you know, Aaron and I have a lot of fun doing these things, but we want to make sure that we're helping you learn how to catch fish as much as we can as well. And you know, you can also go to BassEdge.com. And if you have any questions at all, we promise we'll get back to you. Hey, Aaron, don't forget to tell them about that newsletter. Yes, uh, you know, that is one of the things. The newsletter has uh, officially hit the airwaves, and uh, Steve Brigman, the publishing editor, is doing a great job. If you have not signed up for that, you are missing out because there's exclusive information that's on there. So make sure, again, send an email. What you can do is actually just sign up right there on the homepage at that top section. Uh, it'll ask for your username if you don't have one. It has a little section there where you can create and uh, sign in, and then you will officially be entered in uh, to receive the monthly e-newsletter. That's awesome. Now, who's on the TV show next week? TV show, FLW Pro, the M&M's man, John Sappington. And, really? Uh, yes, and we're heading to Lake of the Ozarks, so it's a great show, shallow cranking. There you go. Hey, if you're at the lake, do me a favor. Go down to Bandana's Barbecue and tell the Craddocks I said hi. All right. Will you do that? I will do that. Yeah bandanas and it's owned by the credits they're great people Good. folks we're out of time for mr aaron martin this is outdoors dan young we hope to see you right here next week right here on the edge bass edge would like to thank the following sponsors who make the edge audio program possible ditch witch mother's waxes and polishes v and w trailer hitches megaware keel guard cooks tackle management systems Ardent, Rule the Water, Legend Boats, O'Reilly Auto Parts, Superstar Batteries, and the Clarks Hill Partnership of Georgia. For more information on Bass Edge, including our television show, training materials, e-newsletter, and podcast, please visit www.bassedge.com. Be sure to join us next week on The Edge.